All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Story Symbol Spirit Podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and as always, I am joined by Jackie Mitchell. Hi. Jackie, how are we today? Doing great. Doing all right? Yeah. Um, before we get started, oh. I would just like to, to say once again, as I say every episode, <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast, please rate, please review, please subscribe, share with a friend, share with a family member that you think might be interested in. Today's a big day. This is what I said, oh, about... Oh, I thought you were going to go right into it. Do you disagree it. with me about today being a big day? I feel like this is a <laughs> big day for us. And I want to make sure that this gets talked about with proper weight. Okay. Uh, okay. A few, you know, a few months ago, we celebrated our 20th episode. And I don't remember who it was, but somebody was making a big deal about how that makes us in the top 1% of podcasters. People were calling us elite. You know, all these things people were happening. People were. But, who knows who those but, people were. Yeah, it's, I can't remember. But then today is episode 30. <laughs> and so I know that we're not currently set up with video, but if you guys were here right now, you would see that, that Jackie <laughs> is here with champagne. She's got caviar. Uh, right. She's wearing a Story Symbol Spirit t-shirt. She's yes. drinking out of a Story Symbol Spirit mug. Chalice, uh, yeah. For, for, for our birthdays in this church, we write each other nice notes. Everybody on staff writes a, a nice yeah. note, which is, which is a great practice. And uh, it was my birthday last month. And so Jackie... This wrote me a, a, a card <laughs> on story symbol spirit card stock. <laughs> and so I did. Uh, you know, if you thought that 20 episodes, like if you thought that we were getting a little bit cocky with 20 episodes, you should you should wait and see what happens now that we're we're in the 30 club. That's what I'm calling it. And if you'd like him to celebrate less, write in. <laughs> yeah, you can write in. I probably won't listen to you, but feel free to send Jackie a, a note. 30 episodes. He's really but 30 episodes. I mean, and, and I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. And so today with the 30th episode, I think that it's probably right that we talk about something very important and not obscure like circumcision. Right. <laughs> so today's episode, we're going to go through Genesis 17, which is basically an episode about circumcision. Right. What better way to celebrate the, <laughs> the 30th episode as elite podcasters than, than, than that? So, uh, so here we go. Yeah. Right. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about this covenant that God cuts with Abraham mm -hmm. as he specifies what exactly is about to happen. He now puts obligation on, on Abraham. Mm -hmm. And part of the obligation is this ritual called circumcision. Yeah. And one of the reasons that this is important is because this is the first time that it, that it shows up in the Bible. But then when you go all the way to the New Testament and you look at the letters of Paul, he talks a lot about circumcision. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean in the new covenant? What, what does circumcision mean now that Jesus has, has died and risen and ascended? What are we supposed to do about this thing that was just so important for the nation of Israel mm -hmm. and for the descendants of Abraham? And so today we're going to look at where that, where that came from. And so it should be should be interesting at least to, to understand why that's so important and why that carries so much weight yeah. for the Old Testament people of God. And so uh, where, where did we leave off last week, Jackie? So we talked about Abra Abram, not Abraham yet, right. but we'll get there. Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, um, they had just kind of gotten into this spat between the three of them about a surrogacy, right? Mm -hmm. Because Abram and Sarai know that they're supposed to have a, a kid, but they're getting old and they don't have any. So Abram says, well, why don't you take, you know, or Sarai says, why don't you take my servant, sleep with her and have a baby through her? Right. But things get a little bit messy. 
Yeah, so we started to talk a little bit about this theme that we've been seeing about the way that we see the world. Mm -hmm. And so in the Bible, vision to see something has to do with discernment and judgment. And judgment has to do with knowing good and evil. And so from the very beginning, this has been a, a precarious thing, knowing good and evil, seeing correctly, seeing the way that God sees. And uh, so last week, what we saw is that Sarai knows that there's this promise and she knows that the foundation of the promise is that they're supposed to have a child. They don't have a child. Mm-hmm. So she does a very common ancient practice of surrogacy, like you said, where they take a slave Hagar from Egypt, uh, who they probably got as they were released from Egypt in, in the story that we talked about before. And she has uh, Abram, her husband, sleep with, with Hagar, have a child with Hagar. And then Hagar is supposed to give the baby to Sarai when she, when she has the, the, the baby. And that, like we said, that was pretty common practice, right, at, at this time. And what we see is basically sin all around. We see the vision of humans not being the vision of God. Yeah. And we see the consequences of that. So Sarai sees the situation, she judges it, and she thinks she needs to take this Matters into her, into her, own, her own hands. hands right? Yeah. So then she comes to Abram with this plan. And Abram is actually the one to whom God has spoken. And mm-hmm. Abram is the one who's supposed to protect and keep. And instead of doing what he's supposed to do and probably putting a stop to this plan. Yes, he goes yeah. along with it. Yeah. And so Hagar gets pregnant. So you see sin in that sense of seeing the situation and, and taking mm-hmm. what you think is right. You see that from Sarai, then you see it from Abram. And then Hagar conceives and she now has a child. And uh, that child is for all intents and purposes, looks like it's going to be the seed of the promise. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about last week, she's a Yahweh worshiper. So to some extent, she knows kind of, or at least is privy to what this promise is. So it says that she despises Sarai. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that she's going to also take matters into her own hand. And instead of being faithful to her mistress, Sarai, she's planning on keeping the child for herself. Mm -hmm. So Sarai tries to to make her submit and uh, she runs away instead. And the angel of the Lord appears to her blesses her, blesses Ishmael, um, sends her back into, into the land. And actually the name Ishmael means God sees, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's interesting that this whole bad situation has come up because the humans are seeing and they're judging incorrectly because they're not seeing with the eyes of God. Yeah. And so when God comes in to rectify the situation, the child is going to be named God sees. Mm-hmm. Not just that he sees her in her, in her, uh, in, in, in her trouble, and has come to save her graciously, but that he sees the situation for what it is because he's God. Yeah. He's the keeper of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And so this sin that began in the garden where Eve sees the fruit, she sees that it's good, so she takes it. Mm -hmm. We've seen this over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. So so they get themselves into this mess, but but God appears to to Hagar, shows her grace and sends her back Mm -hmm. to Sarai and Abram, and she goes back, and so she, she submits. And, and part of the summary that we took away from that is that God breaks into the midst of all this sin, all this compromise, all of this human seeing incorrectly and brings beauty from those ashes. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he promised he would do when he talked to Noah and gave Noah the covenant, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's evil on your hearts, but I'm going to work through you anyways. Yeah. And so you're going to sin, you're going to fall. And because I'm God, I will be able to bring from that beauty. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's basically doing just that. And so we ended with 
with the promise to Hagar and Ishmael that they would not be cut off, that they have access to the blessing, and that Ishmael has the potential to become a very blessed character mm-hmm. in the way that God's going to redeem the world. And so we come to Genesis 17, and I would define Genesis 17 as a chapter where God clarifies the covenant. Okay. And one of the ways he clarifies it is with a symbol, mm-hmm. a sign of an oath, a sign of the covenant that he's going to demand from, from Abraham and his descendants. And we love symbols around and here we do on, love symbols. on Story Symbol Spirit. Yeah, we should have named our podcast that. It's, it's <laughs> name. All right, let's do uh, Genesis 17, one through two. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So talk about patience, Mm. right? This Mm -hmm. is years after the last chapter. Yeah. Um, Ishmael was born when Abram was 86 years old. Here he's 99 years old. Wow, yeah. So they're still waiting, you know, and now he has a child. And so what we're going to see in this chapter, in the next chapter, is that Abraham kind of thinks that this is probably going to be the child of the promise. Sure, Ishmael, even though God has Mm -hmm. somewhat made it clear in the narrative that it's not. It would be hard if you're 99 years old and you have a 13-year-old son to not, you know, take that child and say, let's just do it with this yeah, child, right? Just, we, yeah. I have this child. Yeah. Um, and so not only does this point to the patience and faithfulness that's, re- that's required in the life with God, but it also brings up this scenario where Ishmael, Abram's only son, is now 13 years old, which is about when boys hit puberty. Mm-hmm which in the ancient world is about when they got married and started to have kids. Wow, yeah. And that seems strange to us, mm-hmm. uh, but childbirth was very precarious, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at this time. And so you really, you know, they started as soon as they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at about 13 years old, you would take a wife and you would start a family. And so Abraham is, be- or Abram at this point is beginning to think about grandchildren. Mm-hmm. he's beginning to think about the seed. He's beginning to think about the promises that God has made to him regarding multiplication and the generations that God has said is going to come from him. Yeah. And so God introduces himself in, the, in this passage as God Almighty, right? And commands that Abram walk before him faithfully and blamelessly. And in that, God will make a covenant with him mm-hmm. and will bring blessings mm-hmm. and the promised seed, mm-hmm. right? So let's do three through six. Uh, yeah, three through six. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your your name will be Abraham for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. So we finally get the name change. Which we've basically been (laughs) struggling with the whole time. (laughs) Well, so from chapter 12, we've been struggling to not call him Abraham. Yeah. Now I've gotten used to it. You're going to start calling no, I'm him Abraham. I'm going to call him Abraham. <laughs> uh, but, but this name change is not just procedural. It has significant theological implications. Mm-hmm. So Avram, Abram, means exalted father, mm. which would be a hard name to bear if yeah. you were Abram and, wow. you, and you didn't have a child until you're mm-hmm. 86 years old. And, 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 um, but uh, Avraham, Abraham, is an extension of the name that, that in the Hebrew comes to mean father of multitudes. Wow. Or father of a multitude. Yeah. And so if you were Abram at this point, you would probably assume that somehow, some way God's promise of multitude was going to go through Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Right? So Ishmael is, is Abraham's only son. 
And Ishmael is at the age to get married and start producing generations and grandchildren, which seems like the promise that God has been making. And so one of the reasons God changes Abram's name to Abraham, father of a multitude, is because he is beginning to indicate that Ishmael and his descendants will not be the only nations produced mm. from Abraham. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were Abram or Abraham at this point, that would be hard for you to see and understand. Yeah, right? so, absolutely. So we have the context. And so we can start to see these hints that God is making. I'm not sure it would be clear at the time, right? Yeah, I think it's easy if you know anything about the biblical narrative to be like, oh, well, just hold out. God's going to do what he says he's <laughs> yeah. going to do. But that's because we know what's going to happen. Know the ending. <laughs> like, I know the ending already. It's like when you watch a movie for the second time. And people like, are, I'm not even stressed. Right. But you're also kind of like, don't do that. Oh, they oh, did, they it. did yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he says, I'll make you very fruitful. I will make nations out of you. Kings mm-hmm. will come forth from you. And so that could mean many things, but but what does this start to mean mm. in terms of the story? Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's read verses seven and eight. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Mm. So again, God says, He's going to establish an everlasting covenant with Abraham and his seed. Mm -hmm. He will be their God. The land of Canaan will be theirs forever. Mm. So we've talked about how, you know, in that, in that war of the the kingdoms that we talked about a few chapters ago, Mm -hmm. Abraham is, uh, he is establishing kind of like what I would call a shadow dominion Mm -hmm. because he conquers everything from the, from the South all the way up the North of the promised land. Mm -hmm. And he builds altars, mm-hmm. but he doesn't actually technically possess those lands. And he doesn't have nations and generations that have come from him that are resting in that land, right? Yeah. So he's he's indicating in his life what will happen, but it, it, it hasn't happened yet. And so God is clarifying, you know, this is still what's going to happen. Yeah, because he says you're residing in it as a foreigner, but now I'm going to give you that land forever. Yeah, the, the generations that come from you, that's going to be their land. Yeah, they won't be foreigners in that land. They won't be foreign. That'll be their home. Yeah. And so you start to see some clarity come to the promise that God has been making mm-hmm. all along. And that's a really good theme to point out as we go through the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. That the promise that God makes and the promises that God makes, for some reason, over long periods of time, he, he focuses mm-hmm. that promise. And the promise becomes clearer and clearer and more specific and more specific as he goes all the way until yeah. it leads to the Messiah, the snake mm-hmm. crusher that was talked about from Genesis 3.15, who happens to be one man yeah, who fulfills all these covenants. But mm-hmm. that specificity, that, that narrowing of, of redemption happens all throughout the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so, so we'll talk about that as we go. But here you start to see the clarity Mm-hmm. Right. It began with, uh, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And all the world will be blessed through you. Well, that's very general. Yeah. Right. Then it goes to something more specific with the, when God walks through the animals in Genesis 15 and cuts the covenant again. And, and in that, he, he, he kind of uh, tells him to look up into the stars and see all the descendants he's mm-hmm. going to have. So like that starts to become clear. He tells him he's going to possess the land which becomes clearer and clearer. Mm -hmm. And now here he doubles down and says, you're actually going to be a father of a multitude of nations. Yeah. And your descendants, the seed that I'm going to give you is 
going to reside in Canaan. Mm. The promised land, that's going to be their land. And God promises it to Abraham. And so you start to see, uh, you start to see this clarity of focus happen, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Let's do, uh, let's do nine through 14. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born into your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is with your flesh. My covenant in your flesh is to be an ever, everlasting covenant. Any circumcised, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Mm. So we will, we will get to the meaning of circumcision because there's a very, very deep meaning. It seems like a strange and quite frankly, mm-hmm. at times, a kind mm-hmm. of a cruel yeah. <laughs> practice, yeah. right? But we're gonna talk about why God makes that the sign of the covenant or the sign of the oath. Uh, but we have to understand that, that sealing oaths with a covenant sign is something that we still do today. Mm-hmm. So if you make a bet with somebody, like a, a monetary bet and you know, it's not like an official thing with like a casino or like a bookkeeper or something or a, a bookie or something. What do you do when you make the bet to know that you're serious about it? You shake hands. You shake on it, yeah. You shake on it. You ever seen like, uh, this doesn't really happen anymore, but like people used to like spit on their hands Ooh, and shake yeah. on it, right? If you were, if you, when you were a kid, this is how intuitive it is. There was this, this thing back in the day where, have you ever heard of like being blood brothers? yeah. Where it's like we're best friends, so we're gonna cut our hands yeah. and shake hands or whatever, right? Because there's some kind of, of of symbol that goes along with the promises that you're making that indicate the promises. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, weddings. Um, what do they do right before they're pronounced husband and wife? Exchange rings. Exchange the rings, and yeah. And they kiss. Those are signs of the covenant. Mm-hmm. They come together in unity. They mm-hmm. exchange the symbol. They put it on each other's body. And then they do something that images the unity of what is going to mm-hmm. happen. They, they kiss each other. These are all signs of covenants. These are all signs of contracts. These are all signs of promises or oaths that you make. And so in Genesis 15, when God makes his promise, he seals it with an oath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, animals are split in half. And then God walks through them by himself, sealing the promise. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the sign of that covenant meant something. Yeah. Right, because when two people make that covenant, they walk through going opposite directions from each other, and you walk through dead animals that are cut in half, and basically saying, "If I don't uphold my end of this this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me." Mm-hmm. Puts Abram in a sleep. He goes through it by himself, and so we said that that means that the promise is unconditional, mm-hmm. because it means that if if God doesn't make good on His promises, then He dies, mm-hmm. and we know that God can't die. Yeah. Right. So circumcision becomes the covenant that he gives to the people that he's covenanting with mm-hmm. to seal the oath, mm. right? So Abraham and Abraham's descendants will all participate in this covenant sign. Yeah, this is now he's participating in it. He's the last one he didn't. And uh, what's he say at the very beginning? He says, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, mm. you and your descendants after you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and this is this is the sign of the covenant that you have to keep. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the sign of the covenant or the sign of the oath or, or the sacramental sign of consecration or however you want to say it that signifies this relationship is that every male is to be circumcised on the eighth day, both homeborn servants and outsiders adopted into the family. Mm-hmm. And so you start to see the New Testament echoes here already. Yeah. Right? Flesh and blood and adopted sons. Yeah. Those who are from the line in terms of genealogy and those who are grafted in Mm -hmm. through this ritual and through worship and allegiance to Yahweh, anyone can become a part of the promise of God. Yeah. That's clear right here. Yeah. In the very beginning of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so you're going to see later at the end of Genesis, 70 people from Jacob go down into Egypt. And 400 years later, they're delivered from slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea, and there's 2 million of them. Mm. Now, it does say that they're being exceedingly fruitful and multiplying. Yes, yeah. But no matter how many children these generations have over 400 years, you'll never get to 2 million. Mm. You'll never get there. The math doesn't add up. And so where did these 2 million people come from? Mm. Well, the very covenant in itself that God cuts here, outsiders can be ritualistically consecrated into the family. Mm. And when they are, they're adopted as sons of God. They become Israelites. Mm-hmm. So when Paul starts to talk about grafting the Gentiles in, yeah. he's really not talking about something new. Mm-hmm. One of the things he's going to be talking about is that the grafting in of the Gentiles no longer has to do with circumcision. That's not the sign anymore. And what he's going to say and what the New Testament opens up is that actually the sign is baptism. Mm-hmm. Right? So baptism is the new covenant sign that circumcision was for, for the old covenant. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure when we get there, we'll, we'll talk about why and what that means. But that's what, so, so circumcision is the, the sign or the symbol that seals the promise mm-hmm. that God is making to Abraham and that Abraham and his descendants are going to make to God mm-hmm. to walk faithfully with them. And it's performed on the eighth day. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so why do you think that is? So we talked about the world being created in seven days, mm-hmm. right? God creates in six days and then on the seventh day he rests and that's the Sabbath. So it's like you got one week and then here's the start of a new one. Here's the start of a new day. Here's, mm-hmm. this, here's new creation. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus is, is going gonna, is gonna to die mm-hmm. and then he's going to be raised from the dead. And in the book of John, over and over and over again, John repeats when Jesus appears to his disciples, when he breathes the Holy Spirit into them, when he speaks to them and commissions them, he makes it very clear it's on the first day of the week, mm. which is what day? The, it's the eighth day. The eighth day, yeah. Seven days in a week. And so uh, in the new covenant, the new creation that God has brought about through Jesus Christ begins on the eighth day. Mm. And so here on the eighth day of a child's life, they step into new creation as God's covenant partners, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, those who do not uphold the covenant with the sign of circumcision will be cut off. Yeah. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about that here briefly. Um, Before we get to Sarai, because her name's about to get changed too, a little bit easier to remember. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about what's, what's going on here. So there's an ancient system of kingship and, and followship that that's called uh, a, a suzerain vassal treaty. I don't know it. 
So suzerain <laughs> is kind of like a word that gets transliterated and but but if you know the word sovereign, mm-hmm. that's sure. what suzerain means. Okay. So you have a sovereign, you have a king, uh, and then you have vassal, which are the people under him. Okay. So the 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 sovereign is the party above, the king above, and then the vassal is the party below. And anybody who is subjected to a king enters into an agreement with that king, right? Because what you're basically saying to a king, like in the most you know, rudimentary terms is like, I will be faithful to you as my king if you like protect me. Yeah, take care of me. Right, don't yeah. let other nations come in and take my family and yeah. kill me and you know, uh, put in policies that make it so there's bread and food and mm-hmm, wine that mm-hmm. we can prosper and we can live and be fair to me. And so there's there's this oath that happens. And, and so this is a suzerain vassal treaty. This is a sovereign vassal treaty between God, the king, and the people that he's chosen. Mm-hmm. And in all of these treaties or covenants, what you would see is that the servant is bound to the king in consecrated service under dual sanctions. If you're faithful to the king, you receive the blessings that the king can bring you. If you're unfaithful to the king, you will receive the curses that the king can bring you, Mm. right? So, you know, in medieval kingdoms, the curse would be like being beheaded. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Being killed, being enslaved, right? Something like that. Um, But the blessings would be protection and prosperity and and being treated well Mm. and fairly. And so it's basically agreed upon in biblical scholarship that that is exactly what is going on here. That's what the form of this covenant is. And they've uncovered all kinds of ancient covenants from the ancient world where this happened between kings and people, mm-hmm. uh, kings mm-hmm. and their subjects. And so this is, this is the suzerain vassal treaty or covenant between God, the king, and his vassals, Abraham and his descendants, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so here's the promise. Here's, here's the blessings, descendants, kings, the land of Canaan, blessing, prosperity. And what's required for the promise is obedience and loyalty and the sacramental sign of circumcision. Yeah, now, now stuff is required yeah. again. Hmm. And it's an interesting thing, like, you know, God's uh, uh, unilateral covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 mm-hmm. and 15 is basically about redemption of the world. Mm-hmm. So what God is saying is that somehow, some way I'm going to redeem the world through you guys. Yeah. But the blessings of a covenant do not come to you without being obedient to the covenant. Yeah. You can choose to participate in it or not is I feel like maybe what he's, he's yeah. getting at. Yeah. If the, if the people of God are going to reject him as their king and they're going to go chase after other gods yeah. and they're not going to do what he says, then why would they receive the covenant blessings? Mm-hmm. Just they've, logically speaking. They've chosen to not participate. Yeah. Right. So, we, you know, because of our emphasis on salvation by grace through faith, we, we almost look at this kind of agreement as if it's like unfair or a burden, mm. but it's actually just the way that the world works, yeah. right? Sure. We, we tell people this in the church. Like people are like, what, what do, like, how do you guys disciple people? And it's like, well, you have to participate in the church. Mm-hmm. And we have all kinds of means to facilitate that discipleship and to teach and to preach and to give uh, opportunities of service and to give opportunities of community. But if you want to be in a small group and you want the blessings of a community of a small group, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. never go to your small group, sometimes people call us and they're like, I don't really like this small group. And we kind of look at the leader's reports and it's like, well, you don't go to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're not yeah. receiving the blessings of the small group. Yeah. 
but that's because something is required of you to receive those blessings because you have to participate yeah. in whatever's being facilitated. Absolutely. And so what's being facilitated here is all of these blessings and promises that God is saying is gonna to come to Abraham and his offspring, but they have to step into that. They have mm-hmm. to be faithful. Obedience is actually required. Yeah, absolutely. Obedience and allegiance. And so at the end, we're gonna dive into the significance of the sign, like why circumcision? Why do we cut off the foreskin of a male? Uh, It's certainly not random and it means something. Mm -hmm. And so we'll get to that, but I wanna save that for the end so that we don't distract from the narrative because we have to talk about Sarah first. Yeah. right. Uh, Or or should I say Sarai? You can say it one more time. And then after this, you say Sarah. Let's talk about Sarai, 15 through 22. Okay. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So I imagine this is kind of like a record scratch moment for yeah. for Abraham because he sure. has a son. Yeah. Ishmael. Yeah, and he presents him <laughs> to God. Yeah. And God's like, "No, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make a covenant with you and your offspring uh, and I'm going to give your your wife Sarai, whose name will now be Sarah, she's going to have offspring. She's going to have a child with you." And so Sarai means my princess. Okay. And Sarah just means princess. Hmm. So Somehow, Abraham's princess is going to become the princess. Just the princess. Princess of the world. Mm. Now, um, uh, because of our, because of typically because of Protestant sensitivity to Catholicism mm-hmm. and like the theological distinctives that, that happen between those two, we actually have come to have a very impoverished understanding of Mary. Mm. But Mary becomes the mother of all creation, mm-hmm. of all new creation. What does the, do you know what the name Eve means? I don't. The mother of all the living. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so Eve is a foreshadowing of Mary. Sarai, who was Abraham's princess, will mm-hmm. now be the princess of the world. And so her name gets changed because that is also a foreshadowing of Mary. Mm-hmm. And then Mary gives birth to the bringer of new creation. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it kind of starts to begin here. Like yeah, you start to see that he, you know, Eve is relaunched in Sarai. Mm-hmm. And so her name is changed mm. to Sarah. And uh, she's going to give Abraham a son. Yeah. So Abraham's 99 years old. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so inexplicably, they're going to have a child together. And then that child is the one who will multiply. And many nations will come from that line. Mm-hmm. And through that line is where these blessings are going to come. And Abraham's response to this is what? He's laughing. He laughs. It's so absurd to him. Because he's too old. Yeah. So what's interesting here, and we're going to talk about this next week too, because uh, uh, Sarah's going to laugh next week. Mm -hmm. But God doesn't actually rebuke Abraham for laughing. Mm. Right? 
he just kind of continues to go on because of course Abraham laughs. Yeah. You should laugh at the way that God brings this stuff about. It's mm-hmm. it's inexplicable. Yeah. It's miraculous. It's beautiful. It's not what we expect. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Abraham, Abraham laughs. He knows that they're too old. And so he asks that this blessing be given to Ishmael. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why don't you, that plan sounds great, but I already have this guy, Ishmael. Will you just yeah. use him? I was a finance major in college. Mm-hmm. And one of the financial um, maxims or axioms that they tell you is that when you're thinking about money and investments, uh, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Mm. So if you have a bird, that's better than two birds that you don't that have. That you don't have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of what's happening here where Abraham's like, well, I have a son. I have a son. All these promises sound great. I'm really old. I can't believe I had that other son. Yeah. I'm really old. He's of age to multiply. Can you please just do it through him? Mm-hmm. It's basically what, what he's asking God. And uh, um, God says no. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We talked about um, how like, Sarah and Abraham last week shouldn't have agreed to that plan that mm-hmm. Sarah had, right? Right. And so now Abraham's here and saying, "Well, can't you just use my shortcut that I kind of yeah. <laughs> that I kind of did?" Right. And it makes sense. Yeah. You know, like you, you can't really judge Abraham for that. It's yeah. like he's ninety nine years old, and right? The now the promises that whole miraculous thing that happened with with Hagar that's going to happen again, but this time with Sarah, yeah, who's never been able to have children, right? And now she's old, right? So it's like there's this this double, you know, um, um, improbability, yeah, or or what I would say is, is impossibility mm-hmm. that God is promising. And what's interesting about this is that He tells Abraham that this son He's going to have through Sarah, what's he? What's his name going to be? Isaac, which means laughter. Yeah, yeah, y- Yitzhak, mm-hmm. which is to laugh, or he laughs, and that's because. Abraham laughed. Mm. And next chapter, we're going to hear God make the same promise. And this time Sarah is standing at the tent of, of uh, the doorway of the tent. Mm-hmm. And she hears this promise and she laughs. She laughs too. That's and how then, absurd it is. And then God says, why did you laugh, Sarah? And she says, I didn't laugh. And God says, yes, you did. <laughs> so scary. But then that's it. Yeah. Like he does Again, like we'll talk about this next week, but there's no really like judgment or condemnation. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess like the only judgment is that they now name their son laughter. <laughs> Because this is, you know, this is this is God's big joke. Yeah. And this is the way that God tends to work. You know, when things are at their darkest, when things are at their most hope, hopeless and unlikely, God plays his joke mm. and comes through. Uh, when Jesus dies on the cross, Satan and evil think that they won. It seems like it's over. The disciples scatter. Herod and Pilate, who are mortal enemies, become friends. Mm. And everything seems like it's in Satan's hand. And then there's resurrection. Mm. Well, resurrection is funny. You know why? Mm. People don't raise from the dead. Yeah. Sudden reversals. God's big joke. Uh, it's the way that that God works, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of resurrection, here we are. Mm. Sarah, her, her womb is dead. Yeah. Right? She's never been able to have kids. Now she's old. And what God she's is saying. She's almost near death too. She's yeah. almost near death. And so God's saying, no. New life still comes. New life. Yeah. Right, that that's going to come alive, and, and Abraham, whose reproductive power might very well be dead as well, mm-hmm. is going to be made alive. And you, so you start to see these hints of resurrection even in this story. Mm. And so Ishmael, while blessed, is not the seed through whom the covenant and the covenant blessings are going to flow to the world. That's going to happen through Isaac, the mm-hmm. son that God will give Abraham through Sarah. 
So all the promises made at the beginning of this that Abraham was probably thinking were being made about Ishmael are not about Ishmael. Mm. They're about the son that Abraham does not yet have. It's not about the for- firstborn again. Again, it's yeah. not about the firstborn. And, uh, you know, Ishmael actually receives all the blessings of the covenant. If you, mm-hmm. if you read through that, that carefully. But Isaac gets the blessings of the covenant and he is the one who's going to administer the covenant to the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Because remember, the end of God's promise to, uh, God's initial promise to Abraham is that the whole world's going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions is, is the whole world going to be blessed through Ishmael or is it going to be blessed through Isaac? Mm-hmm. Well, Ishmael will be blessed in covenant relationship with God, mm-hmm. but the blessings are going to be administered to all of creation through Isaac. Mm, interesting. The, 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 that's going to be God's partner mm-hmm. that he's going to bless the world through. Mm. So we get to, I believe this is the end, 23 through 27. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all of those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told them. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. So like we've seen before, Abraham goes and does exactly what God commands him to do. Yeah, immediately. That's a theme with Abraham is God tells him something and the next verse is, and Abraham does it. So Abraham doesn't know how this is going to happen. And so he laughs. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you really didn't believe God, you would probably not cut your own foreskin off. Yeah, that's true. And then of the foreskin of all the males in your camp, like you're going to meet some significant resistance to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And so he obviously believes. And so he does, which is what we're talking about about Abraham. from. I think that's really good because I think that we don't have to understand God to trust him. Like we don't have to understand what he's doing. And so here's Abraham admitting, I think this is incredulous. Mm -hmm. I think it's ridiculous, Yep. but I still believe. And, And sometimes, sometimes I think that we say, secretly to God, like, I'll believe you if you explain to me what you're doing yeah, or how you're going to bring this about. If I can see the logic in it. Yeah. And it it gets confusing because, you know, um, uh, John is going to call Jesus the logos, Mm. the word, the Mm -hmm. logos, which is where the word logic comes from. Mm -hmm. And so the world is logical Mm -hmm. in many ways. And the way that things happen, it is logical. And so most of our lives have some kind of logical... Sure. Cohesiveness to it. And yet there are things in our experience that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And part of allegiance to to Yahweh uh, and part of being a Christian in Christ is continuing to trust even Mm -hmm. even in those parts of our life Mm -hmm. that don't make sense. This is typically where obedience uh, becomes very difficult, right? Well, sure, because it's easy to obey something you can see, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can see that it would be good for you and how it will play out. Of course I would obey. Right. Um, Sometimes we caricature sin and we make it like, and this is true sometimes, but it's like uh, we sin because we want something really bad. Mm. And so we just want it. And uh, sometimes that's true. Like there are definitely like sins like that, moments of disobedience like that. But a lot of times it's deeper. Mm. A lot of times like we we are moving against the will of God because it doesn't seem like he's doing what, you want your life to be doing. Yeah. And so you start to do things against his will because you can't understand or see the sense in his commands. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of commands that are given to the church 
that are not necessarily expedient in this world. Sure. Right. Tim Mackey always talks about like, well, you know, maybe the defining characteristic is that you're supposed to love your enemy. Mm. Well, that's not expedient. Right. Uh, that, that, you know, if there's no such thing as resurrection, that's actually a really bad idea. Mm. And yet that's the defining characteristic of the church is supposed to be. We love each other. We love God and we love even our enemies. Mm. Uh, how do you see the logic in that? Mm. You're going to come up in situations where someone at work is working behind your back and they're tearing you down and it's hurting your career. Mm. And you're going to have an option as to how you respond to that. And the way that our experience and brains are going to tell us to respond to that is probably exactly the opposite of how we ought to respond to that as Christians. Yeah. It's not going to make sense. And it's going to feel like we're going to get railroaded mm -hmm. because of that. It's going to mm -hmm. feel like we're, we're our whole, everything we've worked for is going to be compromised. It doesn't make sense. So the question is, will you be obedient? Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, go cut off your own foreskin and the foreskin of all of the thousands of males that you have in your camp. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's not very expedient. Yeah. You know, uh, if you don't believe that God is who he says he is and is going to do what he says he's going to do, then, then you're not going to do it. And so Abraham exercises this kind of obedience constantly. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons that he is so blessed mm -hmm. and that he is such a, a monumental figure in, in, even in the New Testament, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So that's kind of the, the story aspect, you know, the, the narrative flow of where this is going. And so you see God orchestrating salvation. You see him setting up the rest of the story. But before we go today, let's talk about the symbolic aspect of the ceremony, the symbolic uh, significance of the covenant sign of circumcision. Yeah. Okay. So what's like, like one of the things Abraham's struggling with here and the reason he's laughing, mm -hmm. because what is the foundation of the promise to him. Generational, like, children. wealth, children, yeah. Um, and so, circumcision yeah. is something that is performed on the male organ of generation. Mm -hmm. So, the promises of God that have to do with multiplication and generation of offspring, that's where the covenant is cut into the flesh of his people. Mm. And so, it symbolizes his promise. It symbolizes the continuation of the people, it symbolizes the continuation of the priestly nation and the priestly task that God has, has given them. Sure. And so we, it's cut into their flesh. It's cut into a specific part of their flesh that has to do with that, mm -hmm. the, the generation of, of offspring. And so even though it, it seems strange, it actually kind of makes sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, at the moment, the promise has to do with reproduction, procreation, continued generation. So the sign is carved into the male organ that's responsible for that. Mm -hmm. So in circumcision, the foreskin is, is cut off of a male. But even further than that, the circumcision is the right by which the covenant is cut. Mm. So the actual Hebrew word for making a covenant is actually cutting a covenant. Okay. And part of that has to do with the way that covenants were cut, right? When When... Abraham and God made that covenant in Genesis 15. What'd they do to the animals? They cut them in half. They cut them yeah, in half. That was cut a cut covenant. The covenant, yeah. right? Um, when the new covenant comes to fruition, Jesus Christ is cut mm. on the cross. Um, his blood is spilled, mm -hmm. right? So covenants are cut. And so this covenant is cut and it's cut into a specific place uh, in, in the, the people of God, into the flesh of the people of God. And what is required of them is allegiance and obedience. Mm. And so it's cut into them that, that 
promise, both the blessings and the curse are cut into the, the, the people that are under the covenant of God. Mm-hmm. So let me explain what I mean by that. The blessings are reproduction mm-hmm. and multiplication, right? And so the blessings of the covenant are cut into the male organ of generation. What are the curses? Mm-hmm. What's the curse? What's it say is going to happen if you don't do it? You'll be cut off. <laughs> You'll be cut off. Yeah. Right? So um, the blessing, recreation of the world through generation, and the curse being cut off is both symbolized in the act of circumcision, mm. which is in terms of the symbolic aspect of our hermeneutic, that's pretty important. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. And it um, doesn't really matter what you think about the practice of circumcision. You start to see why that's what God has chosen to, yeah. to, to do to symbolize his, his promises and his curses. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, in, in circumcision, the entirety of this covenant is dramatically and ritually participated in. Mm-hmm. It means something. Mm. And so that is the meaning of circumcision in, in the biblical context. And so to summarize what we've gone through so far, Abraham has a son, Ishmael, and it seems like this son is gonna be the hope of the world, but God says, no, it's not. The promise I'm making you actually go through a son you do not yet have. Mm-hmm. A son you, you will have through Sarah, and the continued generations of this son will be the hope of the world, the administrators of the covenant. And through them, the blessings of the world will come. And so this son will be named Yitzhak, Isaac, laughter. And the covenant that will go through him is to be cut into every male on the eighth day. And this rite of consecration, circumcision, represents both the blessing and the curse of the covenant. Mm. Generation and the promises of God flowing through fruitfulness and, and multiplying uh, and the curse being cut off. Yeah. So what, what you'll see uh, in the Bible is that these kinds of symbolic things, like they mean something, right? Um, baptism, to describe the symbolic significance of baptism would take a sermon series. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's not, just a cleansing, it's not just a washing, it is those things. It's also dying. Mm-hmm. You go under the water and you die. And then it's raising to new life, coming out of the water into resurrection, mm-hmm. coming out of death, out of the grave, because that's what happened to Jesus. And in Christ, that's what's true of all of us. It also represents becoming new. So uh, where did creation come from? Nothingness and the and chaos waters, the yeah. Ca- right, so out of the waters, creation mm-hmm. comes. And then... Uh, Israel are slaves in Egypt. And when they're delivered into a new identity, Mm -hmm. where do they go through? The Red Sea. The water. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to circle around in the promised land and they're homeless wanderers. And before they go into the land to possess it and to be God's holy nation in a place where his presence is going to permanently dwell, how do they go into the promised land? They cross over. They go through the water. Yeah. Jordan River. And so when we come out of the water in baptism, we come into a new identity too. Mm -hmm. New, new creation, new identity, washing, cleansing, all of those things are happening all at once. It's not just a random sign that was assigned to, to when you're a Christian, you got to do this thing. It means all of those things. And to do it is to ritually participate in the promises of God, mm. which is, which is a, a, actually a beautiful thing. And so that's where circumcision comes from. And that's what it means. 
And that is where the story is going in terms of Isaac. Mm. So next week, we're going to talk about a very strange moment where three men appear to Abraham and Abraham starts to identify this as an encounter with Yahweh. Yeah. So this is a cool, this is a cool cool story. Yeah. So, So next week is going to be interesting. And so, and that's all I've got for yeah, Genesis 17. Same. You got anything else? That's it. All good. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And we will see you next week on Story Summer Spirit.